Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 33, from verse 1 to verse 20. We are going to read the whole chapter. Jacob meets Esau. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way, I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewe, for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my lord in Seir. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Sechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamer, the father of Sechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. My name's Scott. Um, Jay has very helpfully zoomed in the camera so I don't look tiny in comparison to Nick, um, so we're all ready to go. Um, let's do uh, the first thing that Nick encouraged us to do in that video as we read the Bible. Let's depend on God uh, as we pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much that you have spoken to us, uh, that as we come and read these words uh, written so long ago, you speak to us by your Spirit. Father, please would we have confidence in that. Uh, please would you open our eyes to see that, and please would we we'd be different as a result of hearing you speak to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me start with confession. Um, I really love the show um, Long Lost Family. 
and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. It's a it's an ITV one uh, show. Um, some some would call it a classic uh, with Davina McCall and Nikki Clark. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's basically um, people looking for their long lost family. The clues in the title. Um, uh, in a recent episode, there was a woman called Christine. Um, Christine had been separated from her sisters when she was just four years old, and the family had had broken down and she had to be uh, removed from them. Christine was now 67, so for 63 years she'd been living without uh, her two younger sisters. In the course of the program, uh, you discover that the sisters only found out about her 20 years ago and ever since have been looking for her. Uh, and finally, at the end of the episode, um, you get this wonderful scene where the sisters are reunited after 63 uh, years. Now, um, you can look it up, it's on YouTube. Um, I defy anyone to watch that and not cry. Um, go on, go on, Eat, melt your cold heart. Um, you, will, you will cry. Um, it is a beautiful thing when, uh, when a family is reunited uh, after so long. It's a little bit like uh, what we get here uh, this morning. Um, if you've been following along, we've, we've been looking at the story of uh, the life of Jacob in the book of Genesis. Um, last week, Jacob had finally uh, begun to trust in God's promises. And he had this very strange but extraordinary encounter as he wrestled with God, as he clung on uh, to God's blessing. And he had received uh, a new name, Israel. He struggled with God, no longer Jacob. Jacob's relationship with God was totally transformed um, in the last chapter. And now, uh, there's just the small matter of his relationship with his brother, Esau. Esau, who he hasn't seen in 20 years, who 20 years ago uh, threatened to kill him so that Jacob had to run off into exile. And we'll see this morning that Jacob really has been changed by his faith in God's promises. And so much so that, so much so that he is able to be reconciled to his brother Esau. But um, at the same time, Jacob is no perfect hero in our story. He is still a sinner. His old habits and flaws are still there. Like each of us, as we trust in God's promises, we are works in progress. But that doesn't stop God from blessing Jacob, even if it does continue to have consequences for Jacob and his family. And God does do amazing things in our lives, doesn't he? Um, he brings about real change as we trust in his promises, um, as we stop living our own way and instead turn and live uh, God's way. But it is never uh, those changes that save us. It's never the reform that comes from trusting in God. We are always and only ever saved through Jesus, through his perfect life, death, and resurrection. And this side of heaven, each and every one of us will be flawed. Our old patterns of sin will continue however hard we fight. But Jesus is perfect. That's where um, our assurance lies, isn't it? Um, if you know the ongoing struggle with sin, old habits of sin that are just very hard to shake, our assurance doesn't come from our reformation, but from Jesus' work, perfect work on our behalf. That's where we're going this morning. Um, two things we'll see um, to teach us that. We'll, we'll see firstly that Jacob's new faith 
enables reconciliation. And secondly, that Jacob's old sins continue to result in harm. And through it all, as through so much of Jacob's life, God's promises will remain. Firstly then, Jacob's new faith enables reconciliation. Let me read again from verse 1. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided up the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Jacob has had his life-changing encounter with God, but Esau is still on the way. Jacob looks up and there is Esau with his 400 men. Is it a welcome home party? Is it a raiding party? Yesterday, when, Esau, uh, when Jacob had heard that Esau was coming, he was filled with fear. But not now. There has been a change. He still divides his camp. But now, instead of sending everyone else on ahead, he takes the lead. He goes out in the front. He approaches his brother humbly, bowing down to the ground seven times in submission. If you remember back, as as part of Jacob's blessing, the blessing that Jacob had stolen from Esau, Isaac had declared that Jacob would be lord over his brothers. Isaac had said, may the sons of your mother bow down to you. And yet here is Jacob bowing down to Esau, reversing that stolen blessing. What will Esau do in response And you can just imagine the tension with every bow to the ground as Jacob approaches. Will he stand up again? Or will he have his head lopped off? What will Esau do? Well, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And they wept. It is a, a beautiful reconciliation filled with raw emotion. There's Jacob ready to be the servant, and instead he's welcomed as a beloved brother. And it's not a sort of reluctant, forced, formal welcome. It's extravagant, and it's real. And the striking thing about um, the families in Long Lost Family is how often the emotion of the moment when they meet again is just too much for words. In almost every uh, instance, uh, the first thing they do is embrace and cry together. It's only after several minutes that anyone is able to say anything. The change in Esau um, from the man who wanted to kill his brother 20 years ago is is extraordinary. We're not told um, what brings about that change in Esau in that time. Maybe it was just time. But Esau here, I think, is meant to show us something of God's character. See, God in the previous chapter had been ready to welcome Jacob back when he finally trusted in his promises. And now we get a little picture, a little visible picture of that in Esau's welcome of his brother. And as we had it read, I wonder, did your mind go to um, the famous parable that Jesus tells in Luke 10 of the prodigal son? And there you get the one who has been wronged at running to embrace the one who has wronged him. I know that there'll be some tuning in 
um, this morning. There have been all through lockdown. For whom lockdown has been the opportunity to connect or maybe reconnect with um, with church, uh, maybe hearing for the first time or for the first time in a long time about God's mercy and grace to his people. Well, if that's you, you need to know that this is how God welcomes you as you turn back to him. He's not coming to get you. He's running to meet you and to embrace you and throw his arms around you and kiss you to rejoice at your return. And that's not because you've done anything to deserve it. Um, It's not because you've earned it. It is because he is gracious. When you know that that is the welcome that awaits you, why would you not come home? With the the, the tension of the reunion um, gone in a moment, there is still the small matter of how these brothers will relate to one another uh, going forward. Verse 5, Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, What's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. See, Esau has shown us something of God's character. He's a forgiving man. And yet, and yet, he is not a man of faith. That's made clear for us in the the contrasting ways in which Jacob and Esau speak about their respective success in life. See, Jacob each time is careful to attribute his success to God. He says, the children God has graciously given me. When he's speaking about his wealth, God has has been gracious to me. But look what Esau says. Esau simply says, I already have plenty. Jacob compares his encounter with Esau to his previous encounter with God. It's like seeing the face of God. He knows that the reconciliation is only possible because of God's work. God is central to Jacob's life and to Jacob's future. But Esau doesn't know the Lord. Their lives are very different. Jacob insists that um, Esau receives his his gift. And he knows that he needs to make up uh, for the wrong that he did Esau all those years ago. And Esau eventually accepts it, uh, seeming to understand that it is in reparation for the wrongs done against him. Their reconciliation has been made possible but life alongside one another may not be. And um, back to long lost families for the last time. As, as families look for one another, once they find one another, um, they have to deal with um, some pretty difficult things in their past, um, some really deep hurts, some painful memories. But they're willing to deal with those things 
for the sake of relationship, for the sake of getting back together. And the relationships um, from that moment aren't always perfect um, because there's so much um, background, so much going on uh, behind them. It can be difficult to pick up uh, where they left off. But almost always they are glad that they have found one another, even if their lives don't suddenly run in parallel. So our relationship with God must impact how we approach um, difficult or broken relationships in our lives. There are some relationships, aren't there, where reconciliation is, is really hard, almost not possible, especially if, if the other person isn't willing uh, to reconcile. But we are called to do what we can to reconcile relationships, even when that means cost uh, to ourselves. That's certainly true inside the church with others in church family. It's also true of those outside the church, maybe family or friends. If this is how God receives us, who welcomes us in when we have sinned against him, well, we must do what we can uh, to repair relationships with others. Maybe lockdown uh, might be that opportunity uh, to reach out, uh, to try and repair a relationship that has been broken. Now look, your relationship may not ever go back to what it once was, but it is worth trying. Reconciliation is worth the effort, even if your lives are very different. Jacob's newfound faith has changed him fundamentally, but it hasn't changed him entirely, not yet. See, if this was Hollywood, then Jacob, our reformed hero, would leave his flaws behind and never make another mistake right off into the sunset. But this isn't Hollywood. This is real life. And so we see, secondly, that Jacob's old sins continue to result in harm. See, Jacob has changed, yes, but his old sins still linger. We, we got a little hint of it in verse 2. Um, as Jacob sort of arranges his family, um, he puts Rachel and Joseph at the back, um, the furthest away from potential harm. Jacob's favoritism, his favoritism of his, his favorite wife and his favorite child go on. They're still playing out um, by the time that we get in Genesis to the famous story of Joseph and his multicolored coat. But we also see um, Jacob's sin continuing in, in his reluctance to be honest with Esau. Let's look down again at verse 12. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. See, Esau wants to take the party back to his place in Seir. But verse 13, but Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they, were, if they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the flocks and herds before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. See, Jacob makes, makes a good point, doesn't he? Esau is there with his 400 hunters. Now, they're used to traveling at pace. But there's Jacob with his young family and hundreds of animals. Maybe it makes sense for them to go at their own pace. That's not, that's not the entire story of what's going on. Verse 15. Esau said, then let me leave some, men, some of my men with you. But why do that, Jacob asked? 
Just let me find favor in your eyes, my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. See, there's a bigger issue behind what Jacob is doing. Jacob is on his way to the promised land, and that's a good thing, because that's where God told him to go. Sarah, where Esau lives, is not in the promised land. So Jacob shouldn't go there. He is seeking to be obedient uh, to God. But even as he does that, it seems that his old habit of deception is still at work. See, instead of just being up front with Esau about why he can't go with him to Sarah, he lies and says he'll be there soon, even when he has no intention of going there. Now, look, maybe you think I'm being I'm hard on Jacob. Maybe he's just being diplomatic. You know, maybe uh, he doesn't want to offend his newly restored brother. But he should be honest about the fact that obedience to God means that he can't go with Esau. And even Jacob's obedience here, his desire to get to the promised land, it does seem a little half-hearted. Verse 18. After Jacob came from Padam Aram, he, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of land where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohei Israel. What's going on there? Well, back in chapter 28, God had met with Jacob for the first time, and Jacob had promised that if God went with him, he would return to Bethel and build an altar there and give God a tenth of everything he had. So why is he settling in Shechem? Shechem is not Bethel. Now look, in one way you might think, what does it matter? Bethel, Shechem, they're both in the promised land, they're much of a muchness. But it reveals Jacob's half-hearted obedience to God here. And it will have consequences down, further down the line for him and his family. And we won't get a, a close look at it, but chapter 34, um, read it in your own time, and see how Jacob's deception, decision to settle in Shechem and works out for his family. And spoiler alert, it does not go well. And it is, it is all too easy for us, isn't it, to be half-hearted in our obedience, especially when it feels like something minor. I guess we've all had uh, um, significant moments um, in our Christian lives, maybe the, the moment that we first became a Christian or a period in our lives where it felt like we really grew spiritually. Those times are a blessing from God, but they don't make us the finished articles. We won't be the finished articles until Jesus returns. We are still called in the here and now to live out obedience and faith in the normal everyday moments of our lives to work out what obedience looked like in the small decisions as well as the big ones. This passage would, would teach us, don't be like Jacob. Don't settle for a half-hearted obedience. 
Um, but as we, as we close, let me end on a note of encouragement. See, all the way through this, despite Jacob's ongoing sins, God is fulfilling his promises to Jacob. Despite Jacob's half-heartedness, despite his old sinful habits, God is with Jacob. He's been reconciled to his brother. He's brought Jacob to the promised land. He's enabled him to buy this plot of land there. He's brought his whole family and the flocks with him. God's promises are being worked out in Jacob's life. See, God's plans are not messed up by our messing up. That is a big encouragement, isn't it? As we see our own tendencies uh, to be half-hearted, our own ongoing patterns of sin, old sins that die hard. Our status before God doesn't depend on our perfection, but on Jesus' perfection. His obedience is what guarantees God's promises to us. His death is what atones for our sin. His resurrection is what guarantees eternal life. So look, work hard to be obedient. Don't be half-hearted. But do it trusting in Jesus' perfection. You will always mess up. Jesus never will. So trust him, look to him as you seek to live for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for this beautiful picture of a family reunited. We thank you that this is a small picture for us of what you do is you welcome back sinners into your family. Father, you don't do it reluctantly, you do it wonderfully and graciously and extravagantly. Father, please would that fill our hearts and would it give us strength to, to reach out to, in, in those relationships that are difficult, are broken in our own lives. And Father, as we live um, with the tension of being in Christ but, but still ongoing patterns of sin, Father, please give us hearts that long to be obedient not in a half-hearted way, but wholeheartedly. And as we do that, help us to look to Jesus, to his perfection and all that his work means on our behalf. We praise you in his name. Amen.